excited to get into God's Word this morning. We're in Philippians uh, 3, if you don't mind turning your Bibles there. It's so much easier if we're all looking at the same text together. We're in verses 10 through 21 this morning. But as you're turning there, I just wanted to talk to you about a topic that I really like, uh, a topic that maybe you're familiar with. I really love food. Any other foodies in the room here, people that like just, just like, not just like kind of like it, but like, man, I love food. And I'm not talking about like dainty portions. I'm not talking about little, little sampler plates. I'm talking about like Shoney's all you can eat breakfast buffet, like, like huge bits. We were out with a a couple, a couple years back, and they were uh, wanting to be kind enough to treat us to uh, some sushi, which I've grown to love. Any other sushi lovers? I- I'm not talking about the raw fish. I like the rolls a little bit more. But, uh, but we were there, and they said, you know, we want to treat you guys, talking to Adrian and I, we, we want to treat you to dinner, and we want to order enough sushi that you're barking like seals when you leave. And I was like, this is going to be a good night, a really good night. So I don't know if anybody else loves food like I do, but one of the things that's been frustrating as I get a little bit older is that you have to pay attention to consumption or else the clothes start to fit a little tighter. The, the blood pressure starts to go a little bit higher. You, you all of a sudden can't have to, the ability to enjoy it like you did in your youth. You have to. Anybody else in this stage too? Or am I the only one with this? And I've noticed, here's the part that kills me in this, is that it's not like you can pick a weight and kind of like loosen up and just kind of be like, oh, I'm going to be a little bit more laid back about this because it's not like your weight stays at a nice level. What does it do? It keeps climbing and climbing. It's not like you just put on three pounds and it's five pounds, then seven pounds. And you're like, when does it stop? And you're like, it drives you crazy. And you've come to realize that this isn't something that you can ever stop paying attention to until heaven, which I look forward to so much someday. But, but it's not something that you can ever put the, the foot off the, gra- the gas. You have, to, you have to constantly pay attention to monitor, and it's exhausting, in my humble opinion, because it takes work. It's a constant chase, if you will. And the reason I bring that up is because I think the parallels are unbelievable to that in our spiritual lives, because it's the same thing. You can't presume on a good diet last week carrying over to this week. It's an every single day kind of a thing if you want to make grounds or headway. And the same thing spiritually is true in our walks with Christ. It's not like you can count on something you did six months ago at a Christian camp and you're like, oh man, I'm I'm set. No, it's an ongoing pursuit. You can't ever become complacent relying on the past or you continue to lose ground. A lot of people have the mentality of like, you know, there's just a few fine tweaks I still need to do in my pursuit of God and and, and that, maybe a few adjustments. No, that's not really how it works. It's a day after day pursuit of relationship and you can't depend on what happened yesterday, right? What we're going to see in the text this morning is that Paul understood this, that it was something that was worth chasing after. We talked about it last week, where it was something that was worth pursuing. It was worth it because on the, on the other end of it, you're like, man, I know Christ intimately. We're going to talk about that in this morning's text, but let me pray first before we dive in. God, thank you for your word and how practical it is. 
doesn't try to sugarcoat things. It points to the reality that we can't ever get content. We have to stay hungry. We have to stay pursuing you if we expect to see growth. It needs to be on our radar constantly, God. I pray that we would pursue that relationship with a, a, a vigor, with a passion. God, I ask that you would speak to us through this word this morning, through this text. May we never get to the place where we think we have it all figured out, that we'd be teachable, that we'd have soft hearts, that your spirit would enter into this room and just meet us exactly where we're at. We thank you for your word and how practical it is. Pray now that you speak to us in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So starting with verse 10, and then we'll go through just some practical ways that we learn about this chase, if you will. First thing that we're going to see is that we need to start with a crystal clear, be, start with being crystal clear on the goal, verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. First thing that you notice there, and it might be a little confusing upon first read, is that there's really one big goal in the life of a Christ follower. One big goal. The one primary thing that we're pursuing is to know Christ. Now, there's a lot of peripheral things that come alongside with that that we're going to see in this little section, but the primary thing is it's not about an intellectual, we talked about it last week, it's about, a, about an intellectual pursuit, but an experiential one, where you just don't know about him, you literally know him because you've spent time with him, you interact with him, you do life with him, and that's the desire that Paul's pursuing. And he points, though, to some of the peripheral things that come along with that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. What is that? What is he referring to? It's the supernatural power that raised Jesus from the, from the dead. And if you think about it, based on this text, it's only found in the pursuit of getting to know him. Sometimes you think, well, well did Paul actually experience that? Think about Paul's resume of experiencing the supernatural. Think about his road to Damascus encounter of Jesus Christ. Think about the scales that were put on his eyes that he was blinded for three days, having those removed. Think about the earthquake he experienced that set him free from prison, the, the, the angels that were a part of that. Think about all the different things that he experienced. Think about him being on Patmos and being uh, bit by the, it actually wasn't Patmos, but a different island, being bit by a poisonous snake and not responding to it. Think about all the things that he experienced. So he's talking from experience of knowing and seeing the power of God working in his life. I particularly like him seeing the power of that when the guy, do you remember the story when the guy fell asleep during one of Paul's sermons, falls out a window and dies. Do you guys remember this? That's what happens when people fall asleep during sermons. And uh, on the other side of that, Paul then goes out and raises him from the dead, and he's like, yeah, I don't just know of God. I know of his supernatural power. I, 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 I wrestled through how to talk about this because I think sometimes we think that the Bible was God's greatest hits album, and he hasn't written any new music since. 
I think the, the Western church somehow has taken the, the super out and just left us with the natural, but I would propose that God still does radical, crazy things still today. I'm confident if we had a nice handheld mic and we started passing it down the, the rows here and started saying, hey, share a story of, of some time where you've seen God do something just amazing that you can't attribute to the, the natural order of things. I'm confident. Do you guys think we'd have some stories in this room? I was thinking about this. I was preparing uh, even last week on this, this message because I uh, didn't finish through, working through the text last Sunday. And so I was, had the flu super bad last week. Wednesday, Thursday, out of the office, fever, crippling headache. was just miserable. I'm a, I'm a baby with the flu. Anybody else a baby with the flu? And I was, I was stuck home on Thursday night, and it's starting to get to panic mode because I'm like, i got to preach on Sunday. And uh, I only have one more day to pull this whole deal together. And, uh, and so I'm like, oh, God, I, I, I went before him just in, in prayer like 3 in the morning. I just had a high fever and was just miserable. I was like, God, I'm, I'm about to talk about your supernatural power. How about if you display it? I'm trying to negotiate with him. I'm like, it'll be a great illustration, God. You're going to love it. And, uh, and, and so I'm like, how about if you display it and you just cut me a break? Like, let me by morning just feel better. Let me get over this. I got a ton of work to do. So like the next three hours, this is kind of gross. So I was just drenched with sweat. You ever had that after a fever breaks? drenched with sweat, woke up in the morning, fever gone, never to return. Got in, got, got my computer out, started working through the, the, the notes from last week. I was like, yes, thank you, God, for the illustration that it's not just your greatest hits in the Old Testament. God is at work all around us doing things that are super impressive. So he's saying, I, I, I want to experience not just knowing him, I want to know the power of his resurrection then he points to the kind of the other side to that, that maybe some of us like to avoid. He says, he says and may share his sufferings. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for that request. But if you think about it for a moment, many of us in this room can say, probably the closest God has ever felt in my life was when I was going through, you fill in the blank, this trial, and I chose to cling to him. How many can say to that, that to that story? How, how the, the intimacy that we've seen, that we know because you're like, I've been through the suffering piece and I've seen how he is faithful through it. Paul's saying this again from experience. That's what he's, he's longing for. And he goes on to say that becoming like him even in his death. It's like, man, I'll take this to whatever road it needs to happen. You're like, well, what was... Jesus like in his death. Think of some of the things that Jesus demonstrated in his death. The, the loving, obedient, servant, selfless to the nth degree. And he's like, man, that's, that's pretty awesome to think of being willing to go down whatever road because of the one driving goal. The one driving goal of knowing Christ better. Knowing Christ better. He was crystal clear. He even says, by any means necessary that I attain the resurrection. At first read, you're like, what is that even talking about? Read a lot of commentaries on that. I think probably the best descriptor I found was the idea of getting a taste of the intimacy that is to come now. Getting a taste of what's going to happen on the other side of the resurrection. We can, we can sample and see what that's like on this side of that of our life and he's saying i want to whatever it takes death 
suffering, whatever, it's worth it. Because see, what had happened is he had had enough tastes of it to realize, man, that's the one goal. We talked about it last week, the one goal worth pursuing. And he goes on to talk about some real practical ways to do that. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this. It's encouraging to hear Paul say that he hadn't arrived or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Great wisdom in those couple little verses there. I was reading this week about an a interesting a uh, couple of runners from the 50s, a guy by the name of Roger Bannister. Anybody ever heard of this man named Roger Bannister? He was the first person to ever break the four-minute mile, which is pretty impressive. I'm still trying to break the 10-minute mile. And, uh, but, but the four-minute mile, first person to ever do this. Well, about a month after he had this historic accomplishment, Another runner by the name of John Landy came and beat, anybody remember some of these names? Uh, Came and beat that record. You're like, come on, what's going on? So they decided they would establish on August the 7th, 1954, a duel between these two guys to see who was the fastest runner for the mile. And it was intense from what I understand, as intense as things happened in the 50s. But, uh, but here, here in 1954, they got this race going, and they are cranking, man. They're on like world record pace, running around the track. They're on the last stretch, and Landy is winning the race. So Landy's the one that beat the record that the first guy set. So he's, he's beating him. He's in the lead. He's coming into the very final stretch, And he makes a single mistake by looking back just briefly to see where Bannister was at. Well, Bannister then cruises right on, passes him, ends up passing him, wins the race. Afterwards, Time uh, Magazine captures Landy's noteworthy response. He says, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won. If I hadn't looked back... I would have I won because even though he had beaten the record just shortly prior to this, you can't. The one thing that a runner understands is that really, if you think about it, a runner's performance in the past races doesn't guarantee success or failure in future races. The past is irrelevant. The past is irrelevant. Now take this and t- turn it to a spiritual sense. If you think about that, if you think about us and our own walks with the Lord, how often we lean into the past. He's saying you need to forget what's behind you and press on to the present. Because there's the two different aspects of the past. You can either, either revel in your successes or you can wallow in your failures by looking to the past. Let me talk about the first one, the whole revel in your successes. Man, I'll tell you, when I was first out of college, I was on fire, had five-hour quiet time, shared Christ with anybody that would listen. Those were the days. Yeah? But what about now? What about 
present? What's your relationship with the Lord look like this week? Our relationship with Him last week is kind of a mute point. There's a movie I've uh, watched. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it. Has anybody seen this movie called Napoleon Dynamite? Literally, probably one of the dumbest movies of all time. But, hold off before you start booing me. Uh, Some of the funniest characters of all time as well. One of my personal favorites, I made the mistake of watching this movie with my in-laws. They didn't get that. That was painful. But, uh, but like in this movie, you have in, the, in the, the light blue polyester there, a character by the name of Uncle Rico. And what was Uncle Rico known for? What Uncle Rico was known for was just celebrating the glory days. Just always talking about, I used to do this, I used to do that, I could throw this football over those mountains. And uh, like uh, every, everything was a stretch of all of his former accomplishments. Anybody have that person in your life? It's always about the good old days. And you think about that, and you're like, don't be the spiritual Uncle Rico. Don't be the spiritual Uncle Rico. You know, things used to be great. Like, oh, I did this, I did this. Man, Beth Moore, she took notes on me. Like, 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 she, like th- these were all the accomplishments that I have spiritually. And God's like, yeah, but in relational terms, how does that matter? What's, a, what's our relationship look like now? last couple days, like, have we talked much? Have you listened to me much? Have you got into my word much? What what does it look like now? That's the danger that he cautions us against not dwelling simply on the past. And so either the positive side of that, reveling in your accomplishments, also the, the negative side is another crippling thing because we can also wallow in our failures, wallowing in past mistakes. Oh, man, God could never, after I've done that, God could never get back to the same spot. I could never get back to the same spot with God after you fill in the blank. Either is a danger, and either can be a huge hindrance to moving forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he's saying, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do is I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. What a wonderful word for each one of us that we can't rely on the past. He had tasted enough to know that there was nothing better than keeping chasing after it, but it was key that he wasn't going to wallow in past victories or failures. The next one's the obvious one. He starts to bring that up, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Like that picture here, the picture of pressing on, straining, the idea of major effort required. I don't want to exceed my sports illustrations limit this Sunday, but one other one I had to talk about. 2008, do you remember the butterfly race with Michael Phelps winning by one hundredth of a second? Anybody, anybody remember this, see this? 
Uh, the, the, here's a, a picture Sports Illustrated had below the water. Did you guys see these frame-by-frame frame pictures? Pretty, pretty awesome. And this is going into the last stretch there. Phelps clearly losing the race. A couple huge pushes at the very end, like his, his crazy uh, arms just pushing and straining and wins by like just a hair, one one hundredth of a second. I think that was one of the, the smallest margins of victory of all time. And this, this, this picture, I was thinking about that as it relates to us and what Paul is saying, is he's saying, that's the kind of effort that I want to see in the life of a believer. I was really convicted about that in my week, just kind of wrestling through this. I don't just prepare this to talk to you guys. I also prepare this to say like, hey, look at the mirror. Like, how, how, am, I, how am I doing with this? Can I honestly say that even the word strain would be used when describing my pursuit of God? How about for you? Would you say that? Would that be a descriptor that you'd say? Like, yes, I'm, I'm really pressing on. I'm really striving. I'm really straining toward this. Or if we're maybe more honest with ourselves, we're a little bit more on autopilot a little bit more on cruise control. We're really kind of settled in, and you're like, ah, oh, a few tweaks still left to do, but, but not necessarily a pursuit per se. Well, Paul's saying this is key in the chase. This is key in the chase. You think about it, if you, if you think even in relational terms, even when you're maybe first dating your spouse, for those of you that are married, when you're first dating, man, you'd be up till two in the morning talking. You weren't looking at clocks. You weren't looking at watches. Man, you were, you were all about getting to know them better. You're like, don't let that die. Same with our walks with Christ. Man, when it, was, when it was early on, man, we had five-hour devotions, and we were like really serious about this whole thing, watching videos, doing whatever, like whatever I could do to take in more. Don't let that hunger drive. Keep stirring. Keep fanning the flame, as Scripture would say. In the chase, we're intended to strain for the goal question is, what would straining look like in your life? What priority adjustments would need to be made? What, 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 what would have to happen for there to be strain in this area of your life? Something important to wrestle through. Continuing in verse 16, it says this, another component. We cling to truth and follow good examples. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and, their gl- and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Pretty powerful section there. The first one that caught my attention was the charge to hold, let us hold true, true to what we have attained. This picture of holding on to truth so often in the Christian life, we buy into this lie that it's about something different or new or a new experience. When God is saying, no, I don't want you to go wider. I want you to go deeper in what you already have. It's not introducing new stuff. It's going deeper in what we already have together. 
When I was in college, I was actually talking to a friend about this on Friday night. When I was in college, we uh, went down, a few friends of mine went down, they are having these revival meetings down in Florida. And I was at university in Ohio, and we decided to take a, a weekend trip to go check out and see what was going on, because God was doing something crazy down there, and we wanted to see it. And we got down after like a 20-hour drive. It was one of those silly like things you do in school. You drove through the night, and we get there to this revival thing. I remember being there and seeing some, some things that I didn't see in my, my Baptist church growing up. Uh, and so, so a lot of dancing, a lot of falling, a lot of interesting noises coming out of people, a lot of, a lot of things that you're just like, wow, didn't know that existed. And, and, and so I, I was wrestling through that, and, I, and I, I'm not here to, to, to judge. The Holy Spirit can determine what he's going to do with, with people however he so chooses, but I had to think to myself a little bit like, is that really what God intended for his worship to look like? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, when, I, when I look at Scripture and I talk about order, and uh, I, I don't know. I was, I was wrestling through that thinking, I wonder if maybe there's this drive that's within the believer that's maybe there's something different that I'm missing out on. Maybe there's something more. And he's saying, what if we're clear on running things through Scripture, making sure that we're clinging to what we already have, what's already been attained. There's plenty there already. Stay rooted, run everything through the filter of Scripture. And he says something that maybe could be seen as arrogant. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Wait a second, who, who says that? You're like, Wait, that, that sounds kind of boastful for somebody to say. But I was thinking about that a little bit. First, you want to make sure you're looking at that in the context of, of, of bigger picture scripture. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators, this is Paul speaking, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So he's got the, the right line up there. He's saying, hey, make sure you, you can follow me, but that's only because I'm following Christ. Sometimes I wrestle through this because nobody wants to be where the mantle of saying, hey, it's okay to follow me because I'm legit following Jesus Christ. No one wants to wear that mantle. Nobody wants to put that hat on. They're too, uh, too I don't know, insecure or what, what it is. But I got to think that somebody eventually has to be that person, right? After 30 years, 40 years of following the Lord, at some point there needs to be that transition to say, hey, I don't have it all. He's clear to say this. I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived there he said, but man, I'm chasing after him, and I can be a, a real-life example that you can follow. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fellow traveler through this. You can weed through the good and the bad, but there has to be some human examples of people that we're aspiring, that we're chasing after as they chase after Christ. So he invites them into that, never claiming perfection. You take the good, you leave the bad, but it's important to have Christ-honoring examples in our lives. And he even expands it. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Look at others. Isn't that a degree of what church is designed to be? All of us chasing after Christ together. He says this, and maybe this is a, a, another piece of the reason why he says that. Basically, verse 18, he give re, gives reasons why we follow godly examples because we're surrounded by others ungodly examples. Look in the, the text that he describes, for many of whom I have often told you 
and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He's painting this picture. He's like, here's two alternatives of what you can follow. You can either follow me as I'm trying to chase after Christ, he says, or you can follow the world whose end is destruction, whose bellies they're chasing after. I was thinking about what a, a vivid picture of a self-focused, self-consumed person. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Self-consumed. Uh, we were at a, a little Halloween get-together. Not a big, huge fan of Halloween, but this, one of the costumes my sister showed up with really cracked me up. So my brother-in-law was goofy, which was funny. My sister shows up, and she has just a bunch of colored sponges all over her. And we're just like, what are you? Like, what are you trying to be? And she says, I'm self-absorbed. I was like, oh man, I'm self-absorbed, it's killing me. Uh, but, 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 but anyway, I was picturing that, and that's the, the warning that he's giving us. I had to throw that in, sorry. Uh, that, that's the warning that he's giving us. It's just like, man, you're surrounded by people that are self-absorbed. They glory in their shame. What does that mean? That means not only they doing stupid stuff, they brag about it boastfully. How often we see that? You ever been in this conversation where, where somebody says something like this? I was thinking about this. I, I'm going to hell so I can hang out with all my friends. That's where the party's at. You heard some version of that before? It just breaks my heart to think you have no idea what you're saying. You have no idea. You revel in your shame. That's the world that we're surrounded with. That's what he's warning us, and he warns us that their end is destruction. And here's an important piece to remember before we move on, is notice how he describes this. As he describes this, he says, For many of whom I have often told you now, tell you even with what? Tears. Tears. His heart broke for these people. I feel like too often we get into this us versus them thing in the world around us. And you're like, no, our heart needs to break for people that are lost and confused. Broken for people that, are, that, that their God is their belly and their end is destruction and they, 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 they glory in their shame. And you're like, man, I, I, I want my heart to break for that person. That's a wonderful example that we need to cling to the truth and follow good examples because we're surrounded by so many heading the opposite direction. Don't celebrate others' pending destruction. Last one, and we'll end with this, verse 20. We recognize where our citizenship is, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Start with that first statement there. But our citizenship is in heaven. How does that statement change our perspective on everything we've seen in the last couple weeks? 
How does that change our perspective on everything we've seen in politics in the last couple weeks? How does this reality impact the way that you view it? That I'm not consumed. It's okay, okay to be aware and be active and involved. I'm not saying that. But I'm not consumed with what is happening in this foreign land. I'm not a member of this team. I'm just an outsider passing through with the message of hope for the hurting. How would that mentality change how we see everything that's happening in our country right now? I'm just, I'm just visiting. I'm passing through. I'm not, I'm, not on either, I'm not on this team. I'm not on that team. I'm, I'm just bringing a message of hope. That's what Jesus did. When he showed up, he didn't try to fix the government. He just brought the solution that they actually needed, which was to be spiritually rescued. That's the same thing that our country needs, to be spiritually rescued. Now, as much as you might either think Trump is going to save everything, or as much as you think that Trump is going to ruin everything, it doesn't matter because you're not a citizen of the United States. Let's be, let's be clear on that. And you guys are like, whoa, he's, he's, he's talking crazy. I'm just reading the text. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. In heaven, we're just passers through how that mentality changes everything and what we see happening in our world around us. That doesn't mean to be uninvolved. We're, we're, we're foreigners. We're passing through. We should be involved. We should, should be uh, active in, in political things. But don't allow our mindset to get so consumed with it and forget where we are from. Our citizenship is in heaven. I should be preoccupied with heaven rather than the United States. This is not your home and we're here just waiting for our king to get back. And it's a king that I can actually get behind. Anybody else looking forward to that? This is a king I, I, I line up with all of his stances. I, 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 don't, I don't have any character issues with him. I don't have any concerns. I have a king that I believe in, and I actually have a king that I believe can change things. That's what I'm excited about. That's what he's inviting us to. He says, man, we're, we're here just waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Anybody else have one of those? They're like, hey, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to some nice flowing hair, some six-pack. Like, you know, like I, I don't know what this is going to look like, but what I do know is that he says that our lowly body is going to be made to be like his glorious body, uh, anybody up for that? Anybody game for that? I'm, I'm game for that. And then bring on the food, right? Uh, they, uh, but but here, here's the, the reminder and the beautiful picture. This, this chase, man, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. He's going to do this in the power, it says, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He's the king that's worth following. Power that holds the universe together, that spins planets in orbit, that keeps the sun at the right distance, the power that forms a baby in the womb, a power that keeps our lungs breathing and our hearts beating. That's the king that we're waiting for. That's who we're following. He says, this is the chase. It, it's, it's never something that we can put the, let, let off the gas on. It's something that takes a constant effort, but man, is it worth it. So, 
which of these did you need to be reminded of this morning? Being crystal clear on the goal, forgetting what lies behind, straining for the goal, cling to truth and follow good examples, recognize where your citizen's at. I don't know what it is, but we got to keep going with the climb. I'll end with this story I was uh, reading this week about uh, in the, at the foot of the Swiss Alps, there's a man, there's a, a, a little memorial stone I was reading about of a climber that tried to climb there and didn't succeed. And they just had a, his little epitaph, had the years that he was, he was born, the year that he died, his name. And then it just had three words left there. It said, he died climbing. That's it. He died climbing. I was like, oh man, isn't that the, the picture that we're trying to pursue, man? I'm just going to go out in a blaze of glory, man. I'm just going to, I might die climbing, but oh, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth the climb. It's going to be worth the chase. On the other end of this, it all gets a whole lot better, I promise. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for this picture of the chase. I thank you for examples like Paul that saw through the temporal to the eternal. That's my prayer for us as well, that our eyes would be focused on the right goal, that our priorities, that our schedule, that everything would align with that, that we wouldn't get caught up in past successes or past failures, but we keep striving, chasing after you. God, we recognize we can only do that in your strength, which is kind of ironic that you provide everything, provide the goal and also the strength to get to the goal. Thank you for that. I pray this week that we would lean into that, that that would mark what our next seven days look like. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.